allow me to explain the concept of pink capitalism. It is a term to describe the purchasing power of a community made up of non-heterosexual individuals, aka lesbians, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, queer, and many more identities on the spectrum. Apparently, this term has been around since the 1960s, and it refers to the incorporation of the LGBTQ community into capitalistic dynamics. And this term is used critically because it implies the commercialization of that LGBTQ community. Essentially, we are just another natural resource, another machine, another tool to get a capitalistic goal across the line, to get economies of scale within a business infrastructure. So when I first heard this concept of pink capitalism, I thought, whoa, okay, first and foremost, I'm offended. Who decided to call this pink capitalism? Was it a straight person or was it a gay person? I certainly didn't sign off on the color pink as my identifying color when it comes to describing my participation in capitalism, but that is beside the point. This notion of pink capitalism really got me thinking, what is the economic potential of the LGBTQ community? What does their rise in participation in financial markets, what does that mean for inspiring collective agency to drive positive social impact? Welcome to Small Town Big Personalities, a mini-series documenting the surreal journey of two New York City queers forced to move back to their small conservative hometown and face the music on self-awareness, purpose, and having impact in this world. My name is Emily Rose Gray. Let's get into it. To kick off this conversation, I thought it was important to define who these LGBTQ individuals are. So at first we have the affluent queers. I describe these as nine percenters, meaning you make over six figures a year in your salary. You make over 100K in your salary a year. When you enter that affluent queer bucket, you spend your money differently. For example, your foundations are usually set. You are comfortable in what you are earning. And so therefore, you are often spending more in the consumer economy. So it's important to ask then, what are the profits being generated by these affluent LGBTQ individuals? And how is that impacting our global economy? The second cohort are what I will refer to as adjusting queers. I use the word adjusting because unfortunately, after decades of oppression, a lot of queers have a lot of baggage that they have to deal with. The validity of self often comes in the validation from other people. And when you are a queer person, that validation isn't as easily attained as it would be for a straight person. And so you add this layer of emotional strife that has to get reconciled in order for that person to be a productive member of society, in order to fully actualize on their potential. And the second layer that adds to this already false start is that the actual job opportunities are limited to this queer community. This represents roughly 
3.4 million LGBTQ workers and over 500,000 transgender workers without statutory protections against employee discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Not to mention the gender wage gay gap, as I call it. And here's where intersectionality plays a very significant part. The more layers of disenfranchisement your identity vibes with, the harder things can be from a compensated salary perspective. For example, a lesbian couple annual salary is averaged to be $46,000 a year, whereas a woman in a heteronormative relationship would be $51,000 a year. What's up with that pay gap? It's the layering and layering of that disenfranchised identity that I'm talking about. You want to talk about racial identity, a whole other layer. Now, adjusting queers are often spending their money on life essentials. They're not usually the first ones in the room when it comes to investing their money because they're trying to take care of the basics, which is why they need more financial help than anyone, but yet are the most ignored, which brings me to my next point. How is Wall Street and wealth management interacting with queers? So in the case of affluent queers, one could argue that the financial wealth management space is not well equipped to deal with the increase in LGBTQ life considerations. But are there nuances to the queer experience that need to be considered when creating an investment strategy for someone? Absolutely. For example, healthcare. So let's talk about all of the motherfuckers that were impacted by the HIV AIDS crisis back in the 80s. Here they are having all of these additional expenses for healthcare coverage. The second area is talking about child rearing. So for example, if you wanna have a child and you're in a same-sex couple, first of all, you gotta freeze your eggs if you want and plan to have children later down the road. You have to do in vitro, which is incredibly expensive. Adoption, a whole other category, right? So you're adding so many more financial considerations that need to be saved up for in a portfolio that wouldn't necessarily needed be needed in a heterosexual couple's portfolio. And also retirement. So let's say a homosexual couple decided not to have children. Where is their wealth that they've been accumulating over the years? Where is that wealth going? So for example, setting out endowments, setting up opportunities for reinvestment in the queer community if that's what you so choose. These are all things that the financial advisory community can get a great perspective on if the effort is put forth. Now, when talking about the other side of the coin here, which is talking about adjusting queers, the reasons why our socioeconomic structures are not serving them is because they don't provide the tools for success. Queers were never in the room for financial education. So now we had to leverage the tools that gave us connection, community, and knowledge, AKA social media. 
But do you need education? Do you need to understand what a solid financial foundation is? We have a responsibility to teach emerging, adjusting queers how to do that, how to build wealth. That money is far too attractive that they'll accept it from a DIY basis. Because at the end of the day, that is more stimulation to the economy globally. And now what do we do with that information? The question is, how can we best engage them? How can we best accommodate them? And I spent a lot of time on this question. And in this pontificating, I came up with the concept of impact identity. Now, regardless if you are a affluent or adjusting queer, your identity as a disenfranchised person makes the topic of advocacy more relevant to you and gives you skin in the game. One, it directly impacts their lives. You can't just say, I'm fighting for my own human rights, but I don't care about yours. So there's a natural empathy to their identity. The second thing, Social circles blend with like-minded people and those like-minded people have conversations where innovation can thrive. And of course, queers are the epicenter of collective agency, power in numbers. We are all well-versed in, we just need the tools to know how. Money runs the world. Yet money has never been associated with the queers in the past. So when we tap into these woke, engaged queer communities and add a layer of financial empowerment, the results could be epic. And this is the reason why in diversity and inclusion conversations, everyone's always saying, have different voices and perspectives in the room. It makes executive decision-making better for everyone. The thing is that executive level of change is not happening fast enough. So we have to take matters into our own hands, having an agency of numbers to drive impact based on how we define that ourselves and based on how we engage with our money. We have to define it through our own unique tailored lens of impact identity. To speak most of the LGBTQ community, let's lead with our identity. Let's lead with our values first. Let's lead with that idea of collective agency. Let's lead with the power in numbers, the power of connectivity and the power of tools and information and education that allows us to know what about these systems are not working for us and what needs to change? For a queer person, impact identity is a direct answer to the question of how is this relevant to me when it comes to understanding the confusing world of finance. It's based on three core pillars, your values and the change you want to see in the world, your personal financial goals you seek, and the access to capital you have. When answering these Myers-Briggs type questions associated with each pillar, listeners can find out their own impact identity. And this is extremely valuable to individual investors who are waking up 
to the detriments of complacency when it comes to climate change and social injustice. They just didn't know how to get it done. So impact provides an opportunity to relate, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to direct the way that we engage with money and our finances in a way that aligns to our own ethical compass, our identity and our values. Now, as far as my time in quarantine, impact identity was definitely my brainchild. It is the reason why I'm doing anything that I'm doing these days. And I can't wait to share it with everyone. I can't wait to level this playing field with your participation, with a willingness to dive in to self-awareness and self-discovery and a higher consciousness towards impact identity. Together we can do great things. So our call to action today, I ask you to do three things. Number one, take the impact identity survey. This is a little teaser for all of you that are interested in understanding what this impact identity framework looks like. And also are interested in giving your feedback on how it can be better. How can it better adjust to accommodate your lens, your experience and your objectives and goals. If you are a queer person, I ask that you reflect on these things. Reflect on the fact that, yeah, here are the ways that you've been discriminated against from a financial perspective, but it does not mean that we don't have this collective agency. If you are a queer person, I also implore you to reflect on the conversation we had today. Understand how it, has impacted your journey. These discriminatory situations the LGBTQ community has found themselves in and what that means for your forward trajectory. How do you wanna use that recognition to move forward positive action and change that you wanna see in the world? And finally, like, rate, review, holler at your girl, smash the like button do all the good things. I thank you for listening. And until next week, peace out.